0: Welcome to Becker and Broom on Bullets Forever, a podcast for the thinking Washington Wizards fan. My name is Ben Becker. My co-host's array of homemade basketball analytics are as smooth as Bradley Beal's jumper. Hello, Kevin Broom. I'm glad
1: you stuck with Bradley Beal's jumper and not something more personal.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> we may have to edit that out. Kevin, we are back in the saddle after a few weeks long hiatus due to our real lives, work, family, travel, and all those other types of annoyances. So we have a lot to catch up on. Uh, the Wizards are 42-27, and 27, they're third in the East, two behind Boston for the second spot, two ahead of Toronto for the fourth. They are 8-5 and five since the All-Star break. And since the All-Star break, they've had some crazy wins. They've had some disappointing losses. They've added a backup point guard in Brandon Jennings. So we'll start like we always do. Kevin, what is your big-picture assessment of this Wizards team? I'm,
1: you know, I'm of two minds. So first, I sometimes I feel like I'm just like an eternal pessimist with the Wizards. Th- th- I know they went 4-1 and one on the West Coast trip, but I actually came away from that up probably a little more concerned. I'm really worried about their defense, which has been just awful the last few weeks. And their offense has been terrific, which has sort of made up for that. But I question whether that's something they can maintain as they go into the playoffs. And, you know, I think I'm just a little bit concerned about how they're playing of late, that it's not as sharp and as crisp and as detail-oriented as it was, say, you know, back in January and February before the All Star
0: break, How are those concerns showing up in your win projections? We had talked about them. You know, in the high forties, low fifties, in the last over the last several weeks, where are your where are your projections showing them now?
1: When we've talked in the past, there was a basically a split between the full season versus what we would what we would see if we threw out the first ten games, and because that's the two and eight start you kind of figure they're still learning Scott Brooks. They're learning each other. They're figuring things out. And then they sort of figured things out and got better. And so what we saw, you know, for the most part through January, February, really through February was that the full season's worth of data was around like 49, 50 wins, somewhere in there, you know, projecting them. And then you basically add about three or four to get if you throw out the first 10. So you, you could have gotten to, at one point I had them at, uh, possibly going as high as 54 wins if you throw out that first 10 games worth of data. But now we're seeing the two the two separate data sets converge. I mean, they're obviously not completely separate because they overlap for the most part. But the full season worth of data, I get 48 to 49 wins. And if, even if I throw out the first 10 games, I'm getting 49 wins. So there's a real convergence there, and it's sort of suggesting that's sort of it's probably where the Wizards are going to end up is right around in that 48-49 win uh, area. And it's, it is a sign that they're playing perhaps not as well as they had earlier. And there's a couple concerns with that. One is that the playoffs are coming up, and so they've got to sort of figure out how to recapture what they had earlier, where they were both decent defensively and they were terrific offensively. And now they're very good offensively and they're terrible on defense. And then the other thing is is that the schedule doesn't get any easier the rest of the way. So it's looking like they're probably gonna be, you know, six and seven, seven and six the rest of the way.
0: So I'm I'm actually not as concerned. And I think it's precisely because of of some of what you said, that they have a pretty good sense of where they're going to end up. And looking at the rest of the conference, looking at Toronto's schedule and Boston's schedule and Cleveland's schedule, I think that there's a very good chance they're going to end up in the third spot. Um, you know, could be could be second, could be fourth, but but I think there's a very good chance they're going to end up in the third spot. I think they're probably coasting a little bit. And Brooks is also trying to figure out what he's got the the roster's pretty new you know Bogdanovich is a new player Jennings is brand new Mahinmi's new because he was injured so much he's trying to figure out um uh what he's got a little bit he's tinkering a little bit so I'm actually not super concerned and w- I'll delve into that a little more in a bit but I just want to run through these last 13 super fast because we've been away for a while and I know we've been yeah. so now, sorely missed by Re- real quick I think that that's really fair to to
1: to point out and I think that's a that's a good point that they essentially have three new bench guys you know their bench is completely new and they've got to figure out how to incorporate that you know behind me uh, Bogdanovich, and Jennings so they they've got to figure out how to get those guys clicking with the first 5
0: yeah, so, so here is this all-over-the-place 13 games in which, again, they've gone 8-5. and five. After the break, they lay an egg in Philly and lose. They get suffocated at home by a good Utah team and lose. Then they beat Golden State. Then they win handily in Toronto. Then the in the home-and-home, home, they lose here to Toronto, which was a must-win game for Toronto, and it's, you know, it's tough to beat a good team twice back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Then they have what you would characterize as a bad win, and, and they win a nail-biter at home against Orlando and, and a avert disaster. And then they go on the road. They win in Phoenix mm-hmm. against a bad team. They win on the next night. They win in Denver, who's not a very good team, and Denver was playing without Jokic, without Gallinari, without Chandler. So they 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 beat a bad team then they have a day off they win in overtime in Sacramento mm-hmm. on a on then on the back to back they win in overtime in Portland the the Marquis Morris steps out of bounds and then hits the buzzer uh, beater then to end the trip uh, they lose in Minnesota um Minnesota's not good but they are much much improved and there's a lot being written about that right now they come back off the road they Take a bad loss against Dallas in a game that they led for most of the game, and they fall apart in the fourth quarter. They come back and beat the Bulls at home. They lose last night uh, in in Charlotte in a game that was basically a a, a coin flip um, game where uh, they were slight underdogs. The Hornets were rested. The Wizards weren't. It showed. Um, Charlotte wins that game. So so that's what that that eight and five looks like. You know, looking at that West Coast trip, what you talk about. I, look, I, I I hear everything you say. Their 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 defense was poor. They played poor competition. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they they win four games in five nights in uh, 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 uh it, with a three hour time difference, which. I believe it was pointed out a couple times, may have been the first time in franchise history that they win four and five nights on the road. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I hear everything you say about sort of the, the concerns in their overall play and the quality of competition. And then, But the metric that matters most is wins. And when you win four out of five on a long road trip, you have to at least be somewhat encouraged by that. I hear what you're saying on the, the overall uneven play. I also think that the Wizards know that they're good, and in some ways that's that potentially works against them because they say, you know what, we're playing bad defensive teams, we can put up 130, and so they don't bring it on defense, and in, the NBA, in today's NBA, you don't bring it on defense, anyone's going to put up points against you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... I think they're coasting a little bit.
1: Well, you know, they've (laughs) luckily for them they've they've got the they've played the league's easiest schedule so far. But I guess my point would be that each of these games is sort of a referendum, if you will, on the overall quality of the team. Now there are always like extenuating factors, but every team has those same kinds of factors, and over the course of the season, those things sort of aggregate out to tell you how good a team is. And record is certainly one of those things, you know, winning games. But you can also get lucky and, you know, win a few close games. And your record will look pretty good, and your team actually won't be. You know, in Minnesota, you talked about them playing better. Minnesota actually was playing pretty decently earlier in the season, but they were getting some unlucky losses, and they were having some, some bad games defensively here and there that were, you know, hurting them and hurting their record. And they've sort of cleaned those things up and are doing, you know, now they're playing better. But they were really not playing badly before, if that makes any sense, even though their record wasn't very good. You know, at the end of the season, obviously, the the record is what counts, not the point differential. But when you go to overtime to beat, uh, you know, a bad Sacramento team, that's not a sign of a team that's like really strong. That's a now... I will say that even the best teams, you know, Golden State plays overtime games sometimes too, and Golden State uh, will lose sometimes to really bad teams. I mean, that's there's always those weird results in the NBA where you know the best team in the league plays the worst team in the league and the worst team wins. That happens, but what hap- what I'm seeing here is just an overall the the you know, that scoring differential is dipping and the Wizards are squeaking out wins against teams that they should beat pretty comfortably if they're actually as good as they think they are. And so that's where the concern comes in. Now, I mean, I think that if, you know, the stakes were really there, like if this was a playoff or if this was like a single elimination tournament, for example, NCAA tournament style, that the Wizards would be more focused and they would probably, you know, beat Sacramento and Denver Phoenix pretty handily, you know. For example, in Portland, they would probably beat them pretty pretty handily, I would think. But the point is that winning close games against weak teams—that's not a sign of, of a good team. The good teams win those games pretty comfortably.
0: I understand that. I accept that. The one thing that that got my antenna up is your. Comment that each game is uh, a little bit of a referendum on the team, and and I understand and I understand that on a certain level, and at the same time, what the Wizards are doing right now, what is they're in the process of qualifying for the playoffs and uh, trying to get the the best position they can in the playoffs, and then once you get to the playoffs, everything starts over, mm-hmm. and uh, sample size, you know your there's there's more potential variance because you've got uh smaller sample sizes and you have and, and and so much is dependent on matchups and who's healthy and who's and who's going well etc which is why you know to your point and and also given how the Wizards best players how their their young trio have performed in the past in the playoffs i'm i'm not I I hear your concern and also recognize as a fan that it's sometimes frustrating and a little bit annoying to watch Mm -hmm. when your team's not playing as well as you want it to. I'm for now I'm reasonably zen about it. You know if they if they if they come out and uh, uh, lose their next four or and and things start to fall apart, I will I'll get concerned. But for now. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. But but the Wizards... Has, well, real real uh, quick, one thing, I mean, just go. sort of a,
1: a point on, on this is th- there's sort of the the question we're sort of going around is what's more predictive? What's the better indicator of team strength? Is it wins? You know, is it your record or is it your scoring differential? And the, the history, you know, the analysis, the research shows that it's the scoring differential is the better... Predictor of who's going to do well in the playoffs, for example, and so that's not to say the Wizards should, you know, play, you know, Wall Beal Porter forty-six minutes a night so they can, you know, win games by fifteen that they might win by seven. But the point is that over the course of a season, scoring differential tells you more about the quality of the
0: team than their win-loss record. Understood. Let's talk about this new team. So, since we last recorded, the Wizards have a new player and they have a new rotation player brandon jennings uh is uh is the wizards backup point guard for now he he's been in the aggregate he's been really bad since he's been in washington most of which i think and i know you'll correct me if i'm wrong but most of which is just he shot the ball really poorly um and so to me there's sort of like there's some Unseen upside in that because while Brandon Jennings is not a great player, he, there's reason to believe that he's going to get back to his career norms and he's going to be a significant up- upgrade over Trey Burke. Uh, what do you see in Jennings, um, and 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 what does he mean for the for, for the rotation?
1: Yeah, I mean exactly what you said. Is he's he is shooting the ball abysmally. He he I, he can't continue shooting this badly. I mean his effective field goal percentage is like twenty four percent, below ten percent from three point range. He's shooting twenty five percent from the free throw line. That's just I mean that's not going to keep up. He he's going to return to career norms. I mean career he's a thirty five percent free th- uh, three point shooter. His career, 45% effective field goal percentage. My guess is by the end of the season, I mean, he's only played 140 minutes so far for the Wizards, uh, roughly. And so by the end of the season, he'll probably be close to his career norms. And that should help. Uh, He should be a better backup point guard, certainly than Trey Burke. He's played worse so far, but even than Burke had been. (laughs) But by the end of the season, I mean, Jennings is a pro. He's been around for a while. He's still not an old guy. He's still only 27. And there's no reason to think. I mean, he's not injured. He's not sick. He's just going through a bad, you know, bad patch of shooting the ball, and he'll probably turn it around. And you know, very similarly to Boyan, who came in and shot lights out. You know, shot the ball beautifully at first, and now he's sort of receding back to his career norms as well. So that's let's stay
0: on Jennings for a yeah. second. So, so a couple things w- with Jennings. I mean, just watching him, he. I mean he has a little bit of a spastic nature to his game and always has but but he still seems not calm and you would think that just with a little time he's going to settle into his role I I you know I would like to see him get to his left hand in screen and rolls and I just over the course of his career that seems like where he can be most effective where he can get to the uh, get to the basket and either finish. He can dish, and if he's got a shooter, um, you know, uh, uh, rotating to the top of the key. As uh, in Milwaukee, it was Ilyasova here? It can be uh, it can be Bogdanovich, maybe Jason the, the the new Jason Smith. Um, <laughs> but but he, but he can be effective. And, and I also think with Jennings, he's a guy who's got that. You know, the statistician in you is going to hate this, but he's got that spurtability ability. He he's he seems like a good candidate to help the Wizards win a playoff game by having a random 18-point quarter, you know, continuing in the tradition of of Juan Dixon against the Bulls or sure. or one of the the Andre Miller or Al Harrington playoff games. You know, he's gonna he's gonna go off once, and yeah, he's gonna have some bad moments too, and it's all gonna aggregate out. But 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 I think that. In a, in several weeks, we'll be talking about the Brandon Jennings game and looking at each other like, "Wow, did that just happen?"
1: Right. I've long thought that his playing abilities have been unfairly maligned. I have always thought he's been decent. You know, he's not like great, but he's not terrible either. He's a he's a pro, and he's going to help the bench. I think going forward, I don't see any reason to think that he'll continue playing this poorly. He's actually a good player. This isn't like Eric Maynor where. When the Wizards got him, it was predictably going to be bad. He's not Trey Burke, you know,
0: where when the Wizards got him, it was predictable that Trey Burke was going to be bad. Jennings will be fine. So not to rip into old wounds too much, but but you and I had a salty discussion about the Bogdanovich trade. So you can now view the Wizards' deadline or post-deadline um, shopping in... In uh, in the aggregate a little bit, and and say, well, they paid what they paid for Bogdanovich, and then they also got Brandon Jennings for um, for, for for Daniel House. Obviously, Jennings is only under contract for the rest of the season. Um, do you feel you must feel somewhat better about if you're viewing it all in the aggregate? You have to feel better about the. The bogey trade, if Jennings is involved a- as well, um, you know, do you feel a little better? Do you feel? I know you don't feel a lot better because I know you, but um, <laughs> but but, well, but do you at least feel like okay? Like we got we got a viable backup point guard in 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 the shopping trip. Also, mm-hmm. it's not perfect, and I'm annoyed at what we had to pay in order to unload Nicholson. But like, all right. They
1: helped themselves. They did help themselves for this season. You know, Boyan is certainly better than anybody else they had coming off their bench, no question. And Jennings will be an upgrade and that'll help too. You know, my objection to trading for Boyan, giving up a first for Boyan, wasn't so much that I thought he would be terrible. I mean, I think he's been basically what I would have expected him to be. I mean, we talked about him before, and what did we say? He can shoot the ball really well, but he doesn't do much else. And that's pretty much what he's done here in Washington so far. You know, the team has been awful defensively when he's been on the floor. Very small sample size, of course, but that's very consistent with what he did in Brooklyn, what happened in Brooklyn as well. So, But the big concern is they gave up a first-round pick for a guy that's going to be virtually impossible for them to re-sign unless they get rid of other guys. So they gave up a first round pick for, you know, 25, 30 games, including the playoffs from a guy that then they're going to have to either pay the luxury tax to keep. They're going to have to trade away um, some guys and get rid of some salary or they're going to have to let others, they're going to have to let somebody else go to keep him. And that's that's the nature of my complaint about the trade. It's not so much well, the that's Boyan a- himself. If if Boyan had you know two or three years left on his contract, then I think my concerns about the trade would be much less because then you're getting some some value from him that might be commensurate with what you would get from using your first round pick to you know draft a rookie. But th- that's not what they got with him.
0: Okay, Kellyanne Conway, I asked you a question about if if. Brandon Jennings made you feel better about the Bogdanovich trade and and you answered as such but nonetheless um Well d- does Brandon uh, look, Je- I, I, I no the
1: Brandon Jennings to, to, to answer that question more directly no uh, Brandon Jennings doesn't make me feel any better about it because they're separate deals they're very separate deals you know I think that Well they they would have probably I'm gonna done disagree. just as well with you know trading for Lou Williams for example who they would have controlled for another
0: year um, but they couldn't make that trade so so,, so, I'm not saying that anything that you said is wrong, but I have a different perspective, just in the sense that we're you know, we went into the deadline saying, the wizards are good. they they're good now. They need to improve themselves now, even at the expense of the future a little bit. and And they did that. And it doesn't look exactly the way we wanted it to. And part of that is colored by, are our, our bitterness over some bad mistakes they made over the summer. But at the end of the day, having getting Jennings for nothing um, makes it a little um, uh, uh, easier to, to look at what they gave up to get Bogdanovich. I hear you on sort of what they're gonna be able to do going forward. That's a problem for another day. For now, um, let's Let's hope that these guys play really well, and mm-hmm. uh, and that the Wizards make a deep run. Yeah. So I, now, now let's talk a little bit more about Bogdanovich. Just there are two players who I wanna um, who I wanna bring up that that you and I have talked to as it relates to him, and they are Nick Young and Otto Porter. Mm-hmm. Now, now, you know, stylistically, and when you look at them, obviously. You look at Bogdanovich and you don't see, uh, you know, the, the typical fan doesn't see anything that will re- resemble Nick Young. But it, from an impact on the game standpoint, they're actually, to me, and they, they they strike me as pretty similar players in that when they are making shots, they are very helpful. Mm-hmm. They do very little else to impact the game. So he's not going to rebound. He's he's not going to facilitate. uh you know defense is questionable at best um and and so they're you know if they're making shots or in it potentially if they are bending the defense because of their their ability to make shots that's how they're helping you and that's pretty much it whereas you look at a guy like porter who yes he's a great shooter but he also helps you in 19 other different ways And he just, that's why he's so, so, so good and so, so valuable that he basically does everything well. Right. Um, Tell me I'm wrong.
1: No, I agree with you completely. You know, Nick Young, uh, maybe the one difference I would say between Boyan and Nick is that Young actually can help some as an on-ball defender, and Boyan doesn't do that. Boyan, probably the better shooter between the two, actually. But... I mean, we're splitting hairs there. They're both good shooters, but Nick Young can at least be a decent on-ball defender. Boyan isn't even that. He he's really a poor defensive player, and that undercuts his value um, of what he provides on offense. Because again, we've talked about this before. You you have to take the whole player. That said, yep. You know, Boyan whole player is better than anybody else they've had on their bench this season. So he he is going to help, and but he is very much the anti-auto Porter is a guy who, like you said, he does everything and he does it all pretty well. You know, he doesn't necessarily have, I mean, he obviously his shooting is great this year, but he, it's not like he's, you know, all NBA defender or he's, um, you know, or, you know, all defense level defender or, you know, a great rebounder or anything else, but he's good at all those things. He's a plus defender. He's a plus rebounder for his position. He's a terrific shooter. And he doesn't need the ball, which is one of the things that's great when you have a guy like John Wall. Is that Porter doesn't need the ball to get points to create open shots because he knows how to move to you know make cuts, move to the open areas, um, time his cuts properly. He doesn't turn the ball over, so he's a very safe guy to throw the ball to and just let him get it up there. And he's his his uh, release on his shot has has quickened and uh, that helps too so that when you get him the ball it, it can go up quickly
0: well yeah I mean he's great I love him you love him um, <laughs> it's, he's you know Bogdanovich is not that and that's okay he's still he's still helping mm-hmm. um, when Bogdanovich is uh, is letting people buy him on defense um, they're now meeting a a new uh, a a new wizard at the rim Jan Mahinmi is is healthy he is um playing he's starting to settle into a little bit of a role i i also wonder um if uh if if brooks is maybe even giving him a, a a little more time, or or resting Gortat a little more than than they may um, in the playoffs, just to sort of help Mahinmi shake the rust off. No, I tell think that's definitely what, happening. Yeah, I, I t- definitely t- see t- t- that. T- tell me what you're seeing from from Mahinmi. Well, he, he is
1: he okay? First, I agree with you completely that Brooks is giving him some extra minutes and. For a couple of reasons, one is to get Gortat some rest because they rode Gortat pretty hard earlier in the season when they really didn't have a backup for him, and also it serves the purpose also of trying to get Mahinmi sort of ramped back up into you know real NBA playing condition, and he's getting there. He still's got still still's got still has a ways to go, I think. Um, I think we'll see him playing. I hope, better the rest of the way. You know, I'd like to see him rebound a little better. He's not that it's bad, but I'd like to see him do a little bit better. And I'd also like to see him cut down on his turnovers, which are a little high for somebody who touches the ball as infrequently as he does. But um, defensively, he's pretty solid. Um, he's missed some rotations here and there, especially on like screen roll coverages. But I think that's mostly just the newness of, um, where the communication isn't quite there yet because that's a big thing on screen roll is the teamwork and the communication. And I think that's something that will come as he plays more and as he gets a chance to practice and just get used to his new teammates. So,
0: yeah, yeah. you know, Zach Lowe, Zach Lowe made a little mention of this when he was talking wizards uh, in his recent um, pod with Bill Simmons um, that just, some of what's going on defensively, certainly not all, but some of what's going on defensively is, look, they have three new guys. Defense is about reps and coordination and being on the same page. And so they they're just they're they're getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, my impression of and, and I, I see what you're saying on the turnovers. I feel like Mahinmi's fumbled a, a number of passes that maybe it's just timing and he's he's working his way. Um, back into uh, NBA speed and stuff. He he is a specimen, man. He's enormous and he gets off the ground. And he's um, like Jennings. I mean, he's an NBA player. And so you know, if, if Gortat picks up that second foul in the first quarter, um, uh, I I feel just a little better about the 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 Wizards overall. Um, uh, ability to not implode mm-hmm. um w- with 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 him in the fold and it's it's another body it's another six fouls he's physical so are mm-hmm. the playoffs I, I i like what i'm i'm seeing from him and um you know hope he continues um to shake that rust off because th- there's no doubt about uh, I, I i know there is some question about uh, based on our past discussions you know how 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 good is he obviously we've we've uh hashed and rehashed the, the wisdom of the signing all that stuff but um he can help and so and and that's what we want yeah i mean at um, minimum i think he's he
1: should be at least a solid backup center for a good uh, maybe in the playoffs i wouldn't be surprised if when they get to the playoffs it, you know the the playing time is Gortat going more up toward like that 33, 34 minute, uh, you know, range, and Mahinmi minutes coming down to that, you know, whatever's left over after Gortat plays.
0: Well, speaking of backup bigs, we have to have a little bit of a conversation of um, everyone's favorite sweet shooting, bald spotted uh, <laughs> uh, backup big. Jason Smith is uh, is not only is he making threes, but now he's taking threes, which is in some ways as important. He's shooting lights out from on on long twos. He's he's not terrible. He's not close to terrible. Uh, what what did what did we get wrong on Jason Smith? <laughs> what what did we get right on him? uh uh he's he's doing well talk to me yeah well
1: first overall smith is is been okay this year and i say that kind of i'm not trying to diminish cause, you know what he's done because what he's done has been fun and has provided some value for the wizards as well but it, let's not get too carried away you know we're still talking about a guy who's ppa is in the mid-60s where average is 100, you know, and that's an improvement for him. This will probably end up being his career best year, you know, even if he finishes in the mid-60s. I think his career best before this was like in the mid-50s, replacement level being 45. So he's better than replacement. He's at least in that range where he's, you know, a, a, a useful bench player, I guess would be. So that's Smith, you know, what what we got right is that's about the level. You know, he's probably been a little bit better than I thought he would have been, but not a lot better. You know, he's within the range. But that said, one thing that I definitely overlooked when I was evaluating him when they acquired him, and I assume that they perhaps saw this, was that his shooting on twos has improved. You know, though the, the two-point jumpers has improved really starting about three years ago. Maybe more than that. He's always been a decent shooter on long twos, you know, shooting in the mid 40s basically for his entire career, mid 40% from 16 plus feet. And, you know, last year he was 47%, and this year he's 53%, which is a career high for him by a bunch. But then you move to that 10 to 16 foot range, and he had been kind of, you know, hovering around probably 40%. Uh, range for a while. And then with the Knicks, go back to 2014-15, he actually shot 48% on that, in that 10 to 16-foot range. Last year with Orlando, he shot 57% from, from that range, which is just phenomenal. And this year he's at 58%. So he's right in line with what he had been doing recently. And like I said, I just hadn't looked at that. I evaluated him overall because that's you know, my bias, I guess, is that the overall impact is what matters. But, you know, sometimes like these component parts that they, they obviously add up into the into the overall impact. And what he's doing is he's, he is helping the team a little bit with his ability to shoot the ball. And like I said, that's something that I didn't notice when I was evaluating him before the season. And um, it's it's nice to see. It's interesting to see. And it's also interesting to see it keep up. And so hopefully he'll be able to do that. And him adding a three-point shot is terrific because, you know, if he can truly become a stretch five, stretch four, whatever the hell he is, then uh, his value to the team increases because, um, you know, he's stretching the floor. He's changing the geometry of the defense, taking a big away from the basket, which – Will help Wall and Beal especially as the penetrators, and then theoretically help other shooters. So, you know, that, it could definitely help even if he's not being, you know, particularly good in other aspects of the game. His shooting could still help some.
0: It's just nice. I mean, after years and countless pixels of the the, the Wizards collective blogosphere. Looking at who they had on the team and and watching them, you know, launch what are mathematically fundamentally bad shots, it, it, it's nice that organizationally and the and and the coaching staff, you know, credit to Brooks recognize that you got to shoot threes and, and and they're shooting threes. They've got and they've got guys who can shoot threes. And credit to Smith, Smith, Candace Buckner had that nice piece this week on, you know, evolve or die. You know him him uh, on on his new newfound ability, and it's just nice to see them offensively playing. Uh, in they are not a revolutionary uh, in in terms of how they approach offense, but it's nice to see them in line with what modern nba offense looks like i would love it if jason smith did not um leave his feet on every pump fake um because it hurts the defense and it may end up getting him killed but uh i I assume that after the last couple games uh that'll be a point of emphasis in the film session um well, and, you know, uh, he's
1: he's become a shot blocker the last couple of years for whatever reason. And maybe it's because he goes for every pump fake and sometimes the guy isn't
0: faking. Um, well, speaking of shot blockers, real quick, I just want to have like a short Kelly Oubre discussion, which is to say that, you know, Kelly Oubre had a very impressive chase down block um, uh, this week. Kelly Oubre in aggregate is still not good. Um, you know, you can. I feel like with young players, particularly with Uber, you can tell a lot just by his body language and the look on his face. And he was seemingly lost for a, a good while. He seems to be uh, a little more engaged now. But but on a given night, you don't really know what you're going to get from him. Offensively, he's still a mess. What you want him to do is take uh, threes with his feet set and dunk and and not much else and not put the ball on the floor and definitely not take mid-range shots. He's had a few nice moments this week. I feel like in those nice moments, Wizards Twitter sort of freaks out about how good he is or how good he's going to be. And it's just another sort of lesson or data point in in the way the human brain evaluates information. It's sort of like... You can watch, you can sit and watch Kelly Oubre's whole season, and your brain cannot help but highlight certain things in in evaluating him. And then mm-hmm. the reason that statistics are so useful is that we can say, oh, wow, he does some really impressive things. But when you look at the whole picture, he's, he, he's a net negative right now. Um, is that basically how you're seeing him?
1: Yes. And... The thing I would say is like most fans, they watch the, you know, Wizards games. And so they see Oubre. They don't necessarily see like other young players around the league. And so except for when they play the Wizards. Now, I mean, there's obviously some fans that are sort of super fans. Probably people who listen to our podcast are more like the super fan type. But, you know, most young players, a lot of young players have moments that look great, you know, because everybody by the time they get to the nba there is something really special about them i mean this is something to keep in mind i mean i thought about this at one point with uh when i was probably blasting kevin serafin is that you know <laughs> we talk about i you know i thought kevin serafin not a very good player for the nba but realistically not good for the nba means he's one of the top 400 players in the world you know <laughs> And so Kelly Oubre is is having he's not like very good this season. He's struggled offensively. Honestly, he's struggled defensively in a lot of respects. He has moments that are really nice and are tantalizing and makes you think that boy if he could keep doing that, I can see a real future for him in the NBA. But that said, he's not good in the NBA this year uh, either offensively or defensively and that doesn't mean he's a bad player, you know. He's again, he's one of the top four hundred players in the world, but
0: it just means he's not ready. He's not um, ready for
1: the NBA level of competition, and that's that's what he has to face, you know.
0: Yeah, and and there by and you know, uh, the Nick Young podcast that there is some uh, Wizards era Nick Young defensively that I see with him that like when he is dialed in, he is a uh, pretty obnoxiously. Disruptive mm-hmm. on-ball defender um, when his man doesn't have the ball is where things get dicey, but um, but th- but he's got a skill. The question is, can he um, can he not hurt the team in enough areas where the the, the positive areas of his game can be put to use? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think we're gonna see a lot of him in the playoffs. I would suspect that that when a hot wing player um, needs some cooling off or just some um, harassing that Brooks is going to throw him out for five or eight minutes to just to, to try to, um, t- to wear someone down a little bit. And, yeah. and that's fine. I could see and, that. And, and I,
1: another role I could see for him you know, down the, down the stretch of the season and possibly in the playoffs too would be as sort of a situational sub with uh, Bogdanovich swapping Ubrey in to play defense and swapping uh, Bogdanovich back in to play offense, you know, when, when that kind of opportunity presents itself. I could see him playing, you know, end of quarter defensive things. I think, I mean, Brooks will figure it out. He's pretty good at this sort of thing. But I could see them trying to carve out a role for him that sort of limits what he does to, you know, being a defender in certain situations and then getting him off the floor. I think that in the playoffs, if he's going up against a hot wing player, that asking him to try to cool somebody down for even a five minute or an eight minute stretch would be a real risk. It's the kind of thing where if the Wizards are down 10 and, you know, Otto's got four fouls and Beal's got three or, you know, and or none of them have been successful. At that point, maybe you throw him out there just hoping you catch something and, and get it, but I I don't think that that's like a viable strategy to go going forward to say okay, well you know LeBron or somebody is going crazy against us, let's uh, put Oubre in to see if he can cool
0: him down. I don't think that's no, I realistic. I, I hear you. I think we're on the basic same page as it uh, with respect to him. But but so you you throw Saturansky into the mix, and and I I think he deserves to be in the mix because he's got um. Uh, th- there are are matchups where where you where you're going to want him. Um, I, I you know I think that there are times when you'd rather have him defending Darren Williams or you know, God willing Sean Livingston than than you would Brandon Jennings. Um, you know, uh, another, also just uh, he, he plays D. He's he's calmed down a little bit. But but so Sadaransky, Ubre Smith, Mahinmi, Bogdanovich, Jennings. You have six guys who granted i'm i'm not making the argument that you have six reliable guys but you have six guys who i believe brooks can and and will throw on the floor situationally um and 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 see what you get there are going to be nights when when in in the playoffs when jason smith doesn't play there are going to be nights in the playoffs when jason smith Plays and doesn't help, and I think there's reason to believe that there are going to be nights in in the playoffs when Jason Smith comes out, you know, on the floor, hits three jumpers. The the other coach calls a timeout and and has to make an adjustment. I I think with all these these guys, it, it gives Brooks the opportunity that there are eleven guys that you know with these six in addition to the, to the starters that he can use, and I, I like the the feel that that brooks has shown and and uh, you know getting back to sort of our big picture discussion which is why right now i'm just not I, i'm i'm not overly concerned he's figuring brooks is figuring out what he's got he's trying to get guys comfortable trying to to figure out I- exactly the the spots and roles where where he can use guys um come playoff time and and overall i think that's a good Thing and it's a better position than the Wizards have been in in a really long time.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the thing that I guess that would make me encouraged, I, I wouldn't go quite as deep because, you know, I, I think it's more like eight and maybe nine that they could really use in the playoffs. And the eight being obviously the starting five, Jennings, Bogdanovich, Mahinmi, and then, believe it or not, Jason Smith as the sort of other guy, Sadoransky, and Ubre I don't really see as real options except in like desperations you know, you're you're losing and you're hoping to catch something. Let's throw this guy out there and just hope. But I think that the they've got an eight-man rotation that should be pretty good, and I think they've got a ninth, Jason Smith, who sort of uh, who can slide into a couple different roles, either at center if somebody gets you know if both guys get in foul trouble, or they just want a different look. You know, they want to try a stretch five type of type of look, or he can also play some power forward as well. So yeah, I would, again, I would I'm not restrict not, it to eight and maybe to a ninth, and that's that's certainly on a, on a regular
0: basis. Certainly, on a regular basis, yes, all, all I'm saying is that that I think you know very very situationally you you you, you could see some of those guys yeah um uh, and and look the the while that is all true it it obscures the um really the main and overarching point you know for a wizards podcast, we spend a we spend a remarkably little amount of time talking about their best players. But um the, the 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 they're gonna go as far as their best three players, you know, and to a lesser extent their best five players take them. Um, their collective the collective upside of the roster, both you know, this year and going forward is really tied to the collective upside of Wall, Beal, Porter. Uh, and again, a reason to be hopeful is that those guys are individually and collectively having really good years. They have, in their young careers, all had some very good playoff moments and have provided fans with reason to believe that come playoff time, they are going to perform well, you know, parenthetically uh in that Zach Lowe Bill Simmons discussion they're talking about playoff matchups they're talking about the Celtics and Simmons says you, you know maybe what the uh what what the Celtics are going to do defensively is they're going to try to hide Isaiah Thomas on Otto Porter cuz you know maybe Porter's got some nerves he's playing for a big contract and I'm just I'm thinking please you know Otto right. Porter's had a huge playoff moment. He's proven himself as a big game guy. He's got, you know, a foot on on Isaiah Thomas and and I pray that the Wizards are in a position where Brad Stevens is trying to to hide Isaiah Thomas on Otto Porter. I think that's going to mean the Wizards are headed to the Conference Finals, but um, but but it w- with everything with this bench, there, you know, it's it's because of the the shortened rotations. The playoffs are going to be about how well their starters play.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that's and that actually I think is a really good thing for the Wizards because their starters have been their best lineup, you know, by by far. That's their best lineup, and it's one of the better lineups in the league. So, assuming that they're playing at their sort of peak abilities, and I they, they think they've got some things to work out defensively, but. There's some reason, still reason, a lot of reason to hope that the Wizards can make a deep playoff run this year. Like we've talked about before, there's nobody in the East who's head and shoulders better than they are. And uh, I think they need to sort of recapture what they had, uh, you know, a month ago. But there's still time for that. And there's every reason to think that,
0: that they could make a deep playoff run this year because nobody's that much better. The thing that makes me nervous and maybe to the point of of slight nausea is that Markeith Morris strikes me as a little bit of like the bellwether key guy when he's because he is um, uh, when he's he he can really hurt the team when he's not playing well. We've seen it. He he fouls. He uh, he, he takes bad shots, and those shots take away opportunities from other better players. And then when he's going well, uh he he's he's almost like this mini um this mini Draymond Green that's making shots, that's <laughs> that's 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 uh that's doing good things on D. And if if we get sustained, focused, productive Markeith Morris, I it's sort of crazy to think that he could be the key to the Wizards uh, potentially making it to or through the conference finals, um, but 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 such is life as a Wizards fan in uh, in 2017. Um, so shifting forward to uh, to to the coming week, the Wizards have an interesting week uh, that I want to get your take on. They, they play Boston in Boston, the uh, Revenge of the Funeral Game. <laughs> then Wednesday they are. Home against Atlanta, who's sitting in the five seed right now. Friday night they have Brooklyn at home, which is an important game because on Saturday night they go to Cleveland, and you'd really like to see them put in a half of solid work on Friday night and go to the bench mm-hmm. uh, uh, at, and 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 get some rest before they they fly to Cleveland to to play the Cavs on Saturday night. What um? What do you foresee for this week?
1: Well, I pulled up the pro- prognostication machine, and my expectation would be the Wizards go two and two over this four. They're underdogs at Boston. They're significant favorites against Atlanta at home, and then overwhelming favorites against Brooklyn, and then solid, very solid underdogs to Cleveland uh, at Cleveland. So, like you said, the, I think the most important thing with that Brooklyn game is to step on them early, get a big lead, turn it over to the bench, and hopefully, you know, Wall, Beal, Porter, Gortat, and Morris, none of them would play more than 30 minutes in that game. Hopefully, you would get them all down into, like, the 24 or less range, and hopefully all of them sitting for, like, the entire fourth quarter type of thing so that they have a chance to go into Cleveland rested. Two and two is realistic, and... Uh, but that said, while they're underdogs to Boston, for example, Boston isn't, is a, an equivalent team to them in terms of level of play. And so to the extent that home court advantage matters or doesn't matter, you know, if the Wizards go in there feeling good and playing well, they could very easily beat Boston. And I think three and one is also very possible. I think two and two is probably realistic. Three and one is possible.
0: It'll be interesting what the what uh, Wizards fans' collective psyche is after these next four games, um, de- depending on how they show against Boston and Cleveland. I mean, really, depending on how they show in all four, I think is gonna, going to going uh, to people are either going to be riding high or panicking or somewhere in between, um, and that's just the nature of fandom. Um, with that, let's uh, let's wrap today's episode. Uh, Thank you to everyone for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or however you listen to podcasts. Uh, Kevin is on Twitter at Broom underscore Kevin. His Wizards-related work is on Bullets Forever. You can also check out KevinBroom.com for Kevin's other writing, including his upcoming mystery novel. I am on Twitter at underscore Ben Becker. And until next time, this is Becker and Broom on Bullets Forever.